Well, guys, I want to bring a message this morning that's entitled Developing a Heart for God. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. And if you're familiar with any part of the book of 1 Samuel or Kings, 2 Samuel, you'll know that it's the story, it's the history story that is recorded about King David, about his life and who he was and and all the, all the good qualities of his life as well as what's recorded of the bad choices he made in life as well. And so the title of this message is Developing a Heart for God. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, verse 7, there's a scripture that sticks out and reminds us of what God is looking for in our own life. And in verse 7, he says, But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Man does not see what God, what the Lord sees for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. And so this is the difference between Saul, King Saul, and that of David, who's now going to be King David. And God reminds Samuel, he says, Samuel, I know it's very tempting to look at the beauty of the outside. I know it's very tempting to look at the strength that you see on the outside. I know it's very tempting to be attracted to everything that is visible and it looks good. But he says, I'm not concerned about the visible. I'm more concerned about the invisible. So I'm more concerned about the heart. And so we're talking about the heart of the matter, <laughs> developing the heart that God wants to see in all of our lives. Now, this message is not a message that should have you judge your life being good or bad. It's not a message to have you hold your head down and say, well, my heart's not connected like David's heart was to, to God. It's not that type of message. It's a message that helps us to realize the things in our life that are good, yes, and the things in our life that are bad, yes. But how, how and what happens to our heart when it is connected in the right sense of the word connected to the Lord God? And that's what God is looking at. Our society is obsessed with personal uh, physical appearance. You know, uh, I, I, I remember one time it was millions upon millions that is spent upon two things, gymnasiums or gyms where people work out and makeup. And the two were running neck and neck. So if the gym can't get us fit, both male and female finds ways to cover up things with makeup. Yeah. You know, have you seen the line that there's now makeup for men? You know, Clinique has this Christmas package that you can buy. I am not hinting at this now. <laughs> I'm not a makeup type guy. But you can buy makeup for men now. You know, it's because we're getting obsessed with personal appearance, trying to cover up a wrinkle here or a wart or a mole and that sort of thing. Dermatologist find themselves fascinated that they're looking for things on our bodies 
that can cause us harm later on in life, so they remove things. We go into the dermatologist and say, hey, while you're viewing me, is there any way you can zap this mole off and make me look a little better? And it has nothing to do, it happens. We're, we're, but listen, God is not concerned with this. We might be, and rightly so, but God is more concerned with the heart. God examines deep within for something more than what we can see on the outside. God judges one by the basis of, of a person's heart or critiques that of the heart, not based on the judgment of the appearance. In biblical thought, the heart is the central organ that controlled all the activities that determines our character of living. So God is more concerned with the character of our living than he is how we present ourselves in the living on the outside. Now, I'm not telling anyone not to make yourself beautified. Yeah, let's, let's, let's keep brushing our hair and let's keep using the makeup and let's keep going to the gyms. It's all good in that. But I'm here to talk about the heart that houses the qualities of our lives that first form when we say yes to God that I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Talking about the, the, the embodiment of the character of the person that you and I are that are not based on wounds, but are based on those things that are exemplified and strengthened because of God's work in our life. So in order to understand the heart of God, I want to deal with two questions. Two questions. First question is this. What will destroy a heart for God. What, is the th what are the things that can destroy our heart for God? The thing that impressed God about David was his heart. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will carry out my will, which is later recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 22, referring back to God's work in a person's life. David allowed God to mold and to fashion him into that which pleases God. Now, God's focused on the character more than the, the physical statue, concentrating on the integrity, not just the outward looks. So can you and I develop a heart for God like David did? I would say yes. But there are some things in life that we have to be mindful of that can destroy the heart that can get us sidetracked, that can keep us from focusing on what God really desires to happen in our life. And yet one of those signs or diseases, I'll call them, of the heart that can crowd out God is success. Success crowds our heart with things and signs of accomplishments that tends to puff up the heart and it creates a counterfeit of accolades causing us to say, look what I have done. And we get caught up in that disease. A second thing is selfishness. Sometimes the selfishness shrinks our heart to where there's only room for three. Me, myself, and mine. <laughs> it becomes, you know, us. it helps us to be able to, we find ourselves unable to face life because it alienates ourself from what's really needed 
and we need the support of others. Success can move us away from others, and it focuses on, I mean, selfishness moves us away from others and focuses on ourselves. Then there's shiftiness. Now, what do I mean by shiftiness? <laughs> you know, you've heard the term sloth, <laughs> and yet it, it dries up the heart. It's the inactivity that happens in our life. It's the, it's the word that no one wants to hear, laziness occurs. The lack of service. The heart is much like love. It functions to the maximum capacity as it pumps out service to others. And so the heart and the character of who you are will be seen greater in, in, in bringing honor and glory to God in the ministries and the service uh, we're involved in in other people's lives. And a fourth one is sin. Sin is that which hardens the heart. It hardens the heart to the matters of what's real, that's real life. Sin becomes that source of separation that exists between ourselves and God, not that God is moved, but because the sin separates us from who God is in our life. And last is stress. So these five things can be diseases. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just giving you an idea of, of understanding there are things that happen all throughout life that can cause our heart to be less focused on God. And these five things are just five of many. And stress breaks the heart by placing the unnecessary demands on it. The heart crumbles under pressure the heart of who we are. It fails to recognize the power that has been made available in the midst of anxiety. So stress is a factor that can be a destructive force of a disease that eats away at the heart for God. But the more important part of this message is this, and this is what we focus on. The question number two, instead of talking about the things that can destroy the heart, let's talk about how I can develop how, you, how can you and I develop a heart for God? How can, how can I develop a heart for God? Let me give you a few things based on the fact that we see what God is looking for in Scripture. Without a doubt, David was successful. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 14, it says this. It goes on to say, And continued to be successful continue to be successful in all his activities because the Lord was with him. It's nothing to do with David. It has all to do with the Lord in David's life, but yet David was connected to the Lord. So as long as, as, long as David had a heart for God, God continued to display many great things throughout David's life. The moment that that didn't happen... David failed, and he fell hard. So first of all, be humble in spirit. And we see that in David's life. David was a humble leader. He recognized that, that, that God was at work in his life. From the very beginning, David first appears on the scene in Scripture to confront the giant. And yet he led Saul's armies into battle with arousing victories. David marched out with the army, successful in everything Saul sent him to do, which is recorded in 1 Samuel 18, verse 5. In fact, David was so successful that the people began to sing the songs of praise. 
That's recorded in 1 Samuel 18, verse 7. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed the tens of thousands. We learn from David that one can be successful and then not be that which becomes a disease that takes you away from God. But in order to keep success from crowding God out, it must be kept in check. And what is the way it's kept in check? Humility. Being humble in spirit. Humility is simply recognizing the grace and the mercy of God at work in your life. It comes to, when it comes to success and it comes to accomplishment. Humility recognizes that all these things come from God. As fast as it was given to me, as quickly as it can be taken. Former President Harry Truman used to say, I was there by accident and I try to remember where I come from and where I'm going back to. Every president comes from somewhere and has to return back to somewhere. He studied history and noted how men were impressed with themselves with, as poor leaders failed to make the needed decisions. He called them the, the high hats, if you remember, recorded in history years ago. They were the modern Pharisees whose lives were counterfeit before others. The arena of politics, sports, business, and even the religious community teaches us that success and humility often do not mix. So David says, You rescued and afflicted people, but your eyes are set against the proud. You humble them. It's interesting being humble in spirit, what it does to the success rate of our heart connected to God's. It's an interesting, a few quotes. John Henry Jowett, a preacher of last century, says this, A man's devotion is apt to dwindle as he becomes more successful. Our piety does not keep pace with our purse. Absorption in bounty makes us forgetful of the giver. We can be so concerned in the pasture that the shepherd is forgotten. Perhaps the ultimate test for the heart of God is how do I handle life in general? How do I handle success? How do I handle failure? The greatest test of our character is not adversary but prosperity. <laughs> when things are going well, do we pray often or do we pray less? When we're enjoying promotions and bonuses, do we recognize that God is the giver? He's the ultimate source of all the blessings of life. Being humble in spirit has something to do with the heart that God is looking for. Number two is being mindful of the shepherd. You know, this is where I think where our hearts get broken. We get out on a limb. We go out there. I don't know if you've ever been out on a pasture by yourself, but you can go far away from the barn. You can go far away from, it, from civilization and you can get into that pasture, whatever it is, and you can look around and look all around you in 360 degree and you forget where you are. There was a field of blue bonnets that Renee and I traveled to when we were living in Texas and we went further to South Texas to the blue bonnet fields. Beautiful as they're in bloom. So much so that you could actually sit down 
in the blue bonnet field and you could see only your head. They were beautiful. And we traveled just to go see the blue bonnet field. We didn't have a lot of money when we were in seminary, but we could do free things. And that was one of the free things other than a few little pennies put in the gas during that time when it was still under a dollar for a gallon. And we got out in that field and we looked around and all around us was these beautiful blue flowers blooming all in these fields. So easy to get caught up in that pasture that we forget who created it. And so the same thing happens. And, and when we, we get so caught up in ourselves, we forget to be mindful of the shepherd who has guided us into this pasture. And so we must not take our eyes off the good shepherd. The summation of David's life could easily be expressed in this word, in these words, in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1. And it's five words. David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. And that's the summation of David's life. He was mindful of the shepherd. Now we also know when he took his eyes off the shepherd, what happened? And so if we're mindful of the shepherd, he's worshiped, he's lifted up as the name of the Lord God in our life. He is almighty and he, we know it and he knows it. He is, he is everything to us. The antidote for selfishness is the exaltation of God. Humble in spirit, yes, but also being mindful that he is the good shepherd of our life. Whereas selfishness shrinks the heart, the exhortation of God expands the heart. It creates room for God. It dispels the unnecessary things of our life. It pushes those things out to make room for more of God in our life. The joy that happens to the heart is the fact that when we bring God more, bring God into our life more and more each day, then we find ourselves celebrating the life in relationship with God in a beautiful way than we've ever done before. So the antidote of a brokenness of heart, of losing sight of God, is dealing with the things that's crowding God out, moving that out and putting more room for God to come in. And we find that joy. What are you and I worshiping? That would cause us to lose the focus of God or cause us to bring, have, have room more of God in our life. Be careful how we answer. For many of us have filled our thoughts and our sight and have sights on things beyond what God desires for our life. We talked in Sunday school this morning about prayer and the whole lessons on prayer. And one of the things that struck me the most is the fact that that when we pray, we pray to a God who's never busy and his line of communication is never out of service. <laughs> and when we pray to God, we realize the joy of, of having one-on-one -on -one talk with the Father of the universe, with God of creation and Lord of life. He's everything. And we're praying to the very one who is, the, who is everything that this world has ever become in a good sense. Confirm what you said to your servant for it produces reverence for you, 
David says. He prayed, confirm what you've said to your servant. David prays to God, for it produces reverence for you. He basically says, God, will you confirm something for me? And if you'll do that, then I promise you it brings more reverence in my life because I can see more of you as you're revealing more to me. And prayer helps us to do that. The trivial pursuit of life is not a game. It's a lifestyle. Number three, how can I develop a heart from God? For God is to be available in service. God said to David, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will carry out my will. Later it was recorded of what was said in 2 Samuel based on Acts chapter 13, verse 22. If you could eavesdrop on David's relationship with God throughout his life, we would probably discover a scene every morning of David approaching God saying, God, I am reporting to duty. Sir, I am here reporting to duty. What are my orders today? That was David's mindset. He wholeheartedly served his master through the thick and through the thin, through the easy times, through the difficult times. God could count on David when he completed his life. This is the scripture is said of him for David, after serving his own generation in God's plan, he fell asleep. Isn't that cool? In other words, he served with all his heart, and he served for year after year. He laid his head down and fell asleep. One of the beautiful stories of my grandmother's life is, was the fact that, that she... She was a prayer warrior. She prayed. I knew she did. She prayed for the people who were lost in the family. She prayed for those who were saved. She prayed for those in the ministry and those who needed to be. <laughs> you know, she was one of those prayer people. She just knew how to move mountains. She didn't see about going around it. She went through it. And during her dying days, as she was facing through cancer, she sat up on the side of the bed and she wrote letters to everyone in the family who was lost on how they could be saved. Her sister was there. She sealed the envelope. She addressed them. She put stamps on them. So my grandmother knew that the people in her life who were lost were going to get a letter on how to become saved. And then she laid down in a matter of 10 seconds breathed her last breath just went, and she was gone. That's what happened to David. For David, after serving his own generation in God's plan, fell asleep. He completed the task that God assigned him, and then he died. Service opens the floodgate of life-giving resources that bring energy and power to one's heart, and it brings devotion to God. Jack Sanford tells a story of an old well and his family during the days when homes in the country had wells and before they were even running water. And it was the summer vacations in the rural New Hampshire that he was at. The water was cold, pure, refreshing. It never dried up. Even in all of the summer droughts, they had the artesian well that continued to flow beautifully with all the water needs that were there. When other people would be forced to go to the lake for water, 
During a rationing, he had plenty of water coming from his well. Faithfully, over and over through the years, cold, clear, pure water. The years passed and the family decided to modernize. The vacation house needed to have a little bit of extras. So they decided to get running water. They changed their kerosene lamps to electricity. The running water took the place of the old well. The well was covered in order to preserve it. And then one, one, after many years had passed and no use of the well, he had an idea. He was getting a little bit uh, just, just thinking about old times and thinks, you know, there might be time to get back the well and let's get it working once again. He made inquiries and discovered something unique happened. He learned that this kind of well was fed by hundreds of tiny underground rivulets that went out. When the water is drawn from the well on a constant basis, the rivulets are always open and they always flow. But when you stop getting water from the well, the rivulets no longer flow but become clogged and therefore causes the whale to dry up. Our heart is much like that whale. It dries up inside if the living water of God does not flow inside the whale of our heart on an everyday basis. You must be available. In fact, if it dries up, it's the absence of God's Spirit. The disuse of God's Spirit is what dries up the heart. Unless we go often and regularly to the well, unless we give ourselves to God in a service to others, we will become dry and it will become hollow as well. So we must be available to God in service. Four is... The difficult task of it all is being repentant of our sins. First of all, we've got to recognize them. Second, we have to repent from them. I love the Bible for many reasons. One reason in particular, it doesn't cover up anyone's sins or faults. It paints the picture of people who have warts and all. And yet it paints a picture of people who are, are, are in need of a Savior. And David is of no exception. A low point in David's life obviously involved the adultery with Bathsheba, the eventual murder of her husband Uriah. David was a great sinner. He was broken before God. His heart got clogged. He quit going to the well. He had the disuse of God's spirit in his life. And then he came to that realization in 1 Samuel chapter 12 or 2 Samuel 12 verse 13 where he said, I have sinned against the Lord. He recognized his sin and he said, God, this is my confession. The confessional statement of his entire life is summed up in that one verse where he says, I have sinned against you, Lord. And then the exact opposite happened of what many people expected is that David repented from that sin. He didn't take matters in his own hand as a king and one of power as he learned to God and he could become broken. And in Psalm 51 describes the brokenness of David's life where he says, God, please take everything that's in my life, everything that's broken me, everything that I have done, everything that has kept me from having the man after your own heart, anything that has, has clouded my judgment, anything that's marred my character, anything that's taken away who you are in my life. God, I confess my life. Come live with inside me. Take this heart that is very broken and create a new heart in me, O oh God. 
and God does that. And David becomes a man once again after God's own heart. Not just feeling sorry for his sin, but turning from his sin and becoming a new person. I don't have to ask you and you don't have to ask me, is there sin in our life? Because we all, we all have a commonality. Two things. We have sin in our life. We have God in our life. And David prayed, God, create a clean heart in me and renew a, straight, a steadfast spirit within me in Psalm 51.10. He wanted a heart that was clean before God. And, the, and all of us can agree together that we need a clean heart before God. Fifth and last, be trustful of a Savior. David experienced constant success. It wasn't because of David. It was because of God. It wasn't because David had the key. It's that God owned the lock. It wasn't the fact that David had all the answers because God was the one who created them. God was the one who did the work in David's life because David was trustful of his Savior. Stress breaks even the sturdiest of hearts. David had an antidote, trust in the living God. And you and I must trust in the living God. This was the controlling factor of his life, and this will be the controlling factor of my life as well as yours. David composed the song that began, The Lord is my rock, the Lord is my fortress, the Lord is my deliverer, my God, my mountain where I seek refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my Savior. You saved me. Thank you, O oh God. Beautiful song, isn't it? He recognized, he says, I called to the Lord who's worthy of praise and I was saved from my enemies. David's basic philosophy with dealing with the problems and frustrations of life is stated, I pray, I trust, I keep moving, God supplies. And realize that God is in control. What about you? Do you stand the test of life's battles? Are you stressed out in your trust with God? The battles of life will come. Count on it. It's not going to avoid you. But use it to bring your heart closer to the Savior instead of moving away from the Savior. Hudson Taylor wrote, It doesn't matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies whether it comes between you and God or whether it presses your heart closer to His. Nearer to the heart of God, we need to be. Every day, is the pressure of life drawing you toward the Savior or pushing you away? You know, God is the great physician. Wouldn't you agree? He knows more about this world than we could ever even conceive in our mind. God understands where we are. He understands everything we're going through. And He just may be looking that through the midst of even this pandemic, that we become more trustful of our living Lord than we ever have been. And if you know that He's the great physician, then if we walk into His office... <laughs> If he was a physician that you could walk in and set up an appointment, walk into his office, you would know that he's a physician 
that doesn't need an x-ray machine because we're already standing before the x-ray machine. As you expose your heart to the master physician, what do the x-rays reveal? As you stand before the heart of the master physician, what do the x-rays reveal? Is it a heart after God or a heart that has some of God and more of other things? Or is a heart that's wide open making room more for God so that God can be pleased with the servant and the character that he has created you to be as well as me? God's looking for a person who has a heart for him. And will you focus your life in developing that heart for God? A man, woman, after God's own heart. Again, this message is not so that you hold your head low and say, I've blown it. This message is supposed to inspire you, encourage you. If you've gotten there, you still got a little ways to go, and we're all in the same boat. It takes every day of keeping our heart focused for the rest of our lives. There are going to be hiccups. <laughs> There's going to be pressure. There's going to be stresses. There's going to be problems. There's going to be sin. There's going to be times in which we want to crawl under the blanket and stay there. But there's going to be way more times when God is revealed and experienced and the Spirit of God is more powerful in your life than it ever has been. And during those joyful, powerful moments of your life, focus on why it is powerful and joyful and, and, and instrumental in your life. Focus on the Spirit at large working there and what has made that happen. A heart devoted to God. Leaning upon Him, trusting in Him, serving Him, loving Him, filled with His grace and understood with His mercy. Thanks be unto God for the opportunity that every one of us have to be a heart after, to have a heart after God's own heart. Father God, we thank you that you allow us to focus on the essential matters of the heart today recognizing that you are, you love us, you care for us, and there's not anything in our heart that causes you to flee or run. It may cause you to wish and desire greater for us. And I thank you that, that you work through the intricate details of the ugliness of our life and you bring about the pieces of the puzzle that become beautiful and powerful. Lord, I thank you for the lessons that are learned and the power that is revealed and the spirit is in control and that a heart can be caressed, it can be revived, it can be dealt with in such a way we can have a heart transplant into our life through the inundation of your love and mercy and grace. Thank you, God, for taking a heart and molding it into the image that it should be. We give you praise, we give you thanksgiving, and we give you all joy and honor this day for who you are. Amen.